Now, here we go with the first vision of the book of Revelation, which is about the church. And I hope you've read chapters 1 through 3 um, before hearing this teaching. The main thing that John wants us to know is that the church is different from any organization, community, government, nation, because it has the priest king in the middle of the church. The priest king is Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. The priest king is the one who is pouring oil to light the lamps of the church. And he's in charge throughout the centuries of keeping the church vibrant and alive in faith and love. And so he is what makes the church different from any other group of people or any other concern. Just think for a minute about the way it was for John. John was uh, thrown into prison uh, on the Isle of Patmos, probably some kind of a cave uh, on the island. has been converted into a prison. And the one who's done this is Domitian, one of the most powerful emperors in the Roman Empire that the empire ever had. And he just dislikes Christians. Okay, and so you see the pitiful little church uh, with its greatest leaders just in uh, persecution and suffering. And then you see this vast empire that's covering whole nations, it just really almost all of the known world at that time, the Western world. And you wonder, well, if the, if the most powerful force is turning and attacking the weakest, what chance does the weakest have against the most powerful? And yet, <laughs> look at the way the story turns out. The church not only survives, but thrives. And the Roman Empire is going to last about four more centuries, and then it's going to be more or less done for. And so really, it's the church that becomes the powerful kingdom. And this, of course, is exactly what uh, the book of Daniel said would happen in Daniel 2 and various other places in the scriptures that show Jesus establishing a kingdom during the Roman Empire that's going to outlast all of them, and it will be the one that uh, triumphs in the end, it trumps all the other suits, and it will be the one that wins in the end. Or look at communist China. I don't know if you've seen those pictures of the vast tens of thousands of young people all dancing before Chairman Mao and uh, singing songs and all happy and clothed in red. And uh, just you'd think, wow, the, 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 the communists have completely won the day in China. And, and then you look underneath and you see uh, in places of, uh, of hiddenness, uh, uh, church, uh, church leaders and Christians that have been thrown in prison are tormented 
and humiliated. And you, you, you wonder, well, what chance does the church have against this enormously successful power of communist China? And yet today, it's the communists who are having a struggle, and it's the, ch the church that has grown and grown to far greater a size than the Communist Party in China. And as you read books like Back to Jerusalem, which is a book I really want to recommend, you get a picture of this Jesus uh, ministering into his church because he's the priest king. And you see him preparing the church through persecution to become a mighty power that is going to have the strength to actually take the gospel of the kingdom to the West into Muslim lands and back to Jerusalem. Um, today, it's the Muslims who are putting Christian people in prison and tormenting them and humiliating them every way that they can. And what you what you realize as you as you look at the long picture, okay, if you go back to Rome and then you look at Hitler and Stalin and Mao and uh, the the present Islamist trend, and you see that there is just something in the world that hates Jesus. There is a deep resentment in the world, and it may change from regime to regime, from country to country throughout the centuries, and yet it keeps coming back and it keeps asserting itself, this resentment and anger against Jesus Christ. And you realize that if the church begins to preach the gospel of the kingdom and begins to pursue the kingdom of God, then it's going to discover it's got enemies, and they, they are the enemies of Christ. In other words, what we're really dealing with is, is not just a regime that has decided to be anti-Christian, but we're dealing with an anti-Christ spirit that manifests in all these different ways. Or you just realize that there is a, the spirit of this world. There is a this-worldly system that springs up, and it's all around us all the time, and it changes forms, and it changes personalities, but it just keeps on going and going and going through the centuries. And the book of Revelation is really the story about what happens to this Antichrist spirit and to this worldly system that's all around us. And how is Jesus going to deal with that? And so now we move on and we see that um, John describes seven churches. And uh, what are the seven churches? Well, at a literal level, they are the churches that John served as an apostle or as a discipler of Christians. He was uh, assigned, shall we say, assigned by the Lord, a circuit of churches. And, and the, the churches we read about are his circuit in what was then called Asia Minor, but now it's called Turkey. So these are the churches in his circuit. 
uh, literally, but he is using the number seven also in a spiritual or symbolic way. And as you read through the book of Revelation, you discover the number seven uh, has a, a meaning. It, it, it means that which is complete, whole, and perfect. So uh, when he's describing seven churches, he's really describing the complete, whole, perfect church. In other words, um, we have just as much right as part of the church of our day to apply these letters to ourselves, just as we would if we were reading the book of Ephesians. And yeah, the book of Ephesians was written to Ephesus, but it really applies to all Christians everywhere. And so we are the seven churches as well. And, and what we uh, see as we, as we look through the, the letters to the seven churches is that all of them are addressed about the same two major issues, and that is doctrine and morals. Okay, so Jesus is concerned about the purity of doctrine and the purity of morals in his church. And the way the enemy attacks the church is to attack her doctrines and her morals. So getting these two issues right is of concern to the priest king. So therefore, it would be a concern to us if we're serving the priest king we're not just interested in going to a, a particular denomination of a church and 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 having our uh, friends and um, just being a part of a, uh, a pastor's uh, church, but we're if we're kingdom people, you see, we're 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 going to be interested in what the king is interested in, and that's what we're learning about here from chapter two and three. We're learning what are the things that the king is concerned about and where, what are the issues that the enemy is going to be attacking the church so that the church will be weakened. Well, those two areas are doctrines and morals. And so if these are concerned to Jesus, they should be a concern to us. And our job then is to discern what the Holy Spirit is saying to us just as much as what he was saying to John's circuit of churches. In other words, how are doctrines and morals being attacked today? And uh, uh, how is Jesus the priest king pouring oil so as to make the light burn brighter in the church today? So I hope you, you see this, that, that we're dealing with concerns that are just as relevant today as they were back in John's day. And what God wants us to do, to learn to do, um, and actually there's a parable of the kingdom about this, about buying oil. Okay, as we move into the end times, Jesus says in Matthew 25 that there are going to be some of his people who are going to buy oil, but then there's other people who are going to get careless 
and they're not going to buy oil. And then when the king comes back, they, their lamps won't be ready. And so they will, they'll, they'll be in the dark. Uh, but those who have learned to buy oil, um, they'll be ready for the return of the king. So he's specifically saying that it's important for the church to be full of this oil to make the light burn brighter. Well, what's, what, what is he talking about? Let me, say, let me just say what I think. You see, I believe that God has given us his word and the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit comes in to make the word come alive in these two areas of doctrine and morals. Uh, John actually writes about that in 1 John chapter 2. He, he says, you have no need that anyone teach you because the anointing is your teacher and it is true. In other words, God has provided a teacher and that's the Holy Spirit. And when we open our Bibles and we allow the Holy Spirit uh, into our lives, and we are receptive to what the Spirit is saying to the church today. He will use the Word of God in our personal life. And so let me share with you how this is with me. Um, I'll be reading uh, my Bible, and suddenly I become aware that there is an area of doctrine, of teaching, that uh, I just had never thought of before. Or there will be some area of uh, the pattern of life that Jesus wants us to follow that I had not considered. In fact, my life was going in the opposite direction of this. And, and, and so I'll uh, be encountered by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, and I'll, it, it will force me to make a decision do I want to give up one way of thinking or one way of living and try, try something else? And so I'll be in conflict within myself and, and the, the Holy Spirit will come and minister the truth into my heart, you see. And, and that will lead to a transformation of some sort. Either I will uh, be aware that God is different from what I thought he was. Or I'll be aware that he's asking me to do something that's different from what I had been doing. And that leads into transformation of thought and deed. And, you know, I think we ought to be in this kind of pattern uh, every day of our lives. Uh, it seems to me that most Christians today define themselves by the church they go to. But it seems to me that the church we go to is supplementary to the real pattern that God intends for us, which is fellowship between me and God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in the privacy of my prayer closet, where I'm pouring over the word of God, inviting the Holy Spirit, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. We're the church in our private prayer closet, and I believe that that is where most of the transformation of our hearts is to take place. And then it's confirmed and it's uh, encouraged 
by the gathering together. Uh, so we stir up one another to love and good works. We hold fast together our faith without wavering, encouraging one another. That also is a part of it. But so much happens in the privacy of our personal walk with God. And I believe that this is where we learn how to become overcomers. Okay, so this is, this is what Jesus is telling us, that there are certain things that he gives to those who are overcomers. These are not church members. These are people who have set themselves to follow the king and let Jesus be king. So we're not going to, to just do whatever we feel like doing or what, what we want to do or what we think we uh, are, 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 are called into in life, but we're, we're opening ourselves to whatever he wants. And, and, and that is going to put us into conflict with the world around us, sometimes with our, uh, our, our old friends or people we've known for a long time, even our parents. But if he's going to be king and we're following the gospel of the kingdom, see, then we're committed to surrendering our lives and listening to what he wants. And that's a daily routine. That's a daily, everyday walk with the Lord one-on-one. -on -one. And as we move in that direction, we are, we are learning how to be overcomers. Okay, so now... There are rewards for overcomers. And, and that's what we want to teach in our next uh, uh, teaching here. There are 11 rewards that are given here in chapter 2 and 3 that are only for overcomers. Uh, somehow we never hear uh, about these rewards in most preaching services. Um, and so the, the, the gospel of the kingdom is pulling us into a conflict with the world and a surrender to the king. And then the king pulls us onward with these rewards. And in our next teaching, we're going to look at what these rewards are.